0: Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to health care, connecting Christians across the nation who care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash Dr. Sybil Georgiana is our guest today. She is professionally trained in human sexuality, and her understanding of her work through the lens of the Bible makes her a trusted source, in my opinion. We are going to hear more about her work, which includes career counseling and self-leadership. Then the second half of our chat is devoted to learning more about her specialization in working with clients who experience sexual compulsivity and betrayal trauma. Listen in for biblical principles for alleviating stress, science lessons on our body's connection to our mind, and hope to cling to whether you are struggling with pornography yourself or you're married to a spouse who has this struggle. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Dr. Georgiana.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Will you just catch us up on who you are and what you do?
1: That is so nice for you to ask. I grew up in Germany uh, on a family farm and was born into the Lutheran State Church at that time. And early on, I started out in investment banking, and there really I noticed People who were in, in very powerful positions were um, struggling with anxiety, lack of self-confidence and with leading other people and themselves. And after giving my life to Christ there, as I was in that investment banking experience and having Christ guide my life, I started going and studying psychology and really asking myself, is there anything that we can do that you know we can become more self-confident and, and in a way God-centered as well? So as I started out, studying psychology at the time was a big no-no in the more revived church that I then joined after giving my life to Christ. And so the people in the church wondered if I would be at risk of losing my faith while studying psychology. But actually, as God is always bigger to the opposite, it turned out that my faith got to grow through those studies. And so then I just ventured out into this world. And, you know, later on, you know, went into like a doctorate program and studied features of self-leadership from a more intercultural point of view and had then one area of um, development that was in the clinical world. And then the other one was more in organizational improvement. So there's a couple of free assessments that came out of that work. And I'm sure you would post that link in the show notes for us.
0: I would be happy to do that. And I love hearing your background. And you have lived in different places, and now you get to work with others to process acculturation issues. So through this, what are some of the most key lessons or principles you've learned?
1: Well, I find that to be really open uh, and as open-minded and as gentle with ourselves and the other person is, is really a key access point. And that is the same, I feel, on my end, whether I'm the one who's new to the culture or I'm the one who is welcoming someone else joining me in the culture. And so I notice that really this openness um, really moves us from more maybe more confusion or less clarity to more clarity, where we can find that challenge with discerning how the person's beliefs and, and their actions may impact us, but at the same time, it does not need to define us, you know, as we're without identity in Christ, it does not need to define us, even if they're different from us. So, and I see that the same principles at work now, even when I'm in my private practice, where I support the clients in in various areas, including sexual struggles, or, you know, those who recover from sexual addiction or betrayal trauma. So, really, this openness then helps us to move from a more distrusting to a more trusting position. So, I notice even that if we have and we're surrounding us with, you know, people who are informed, who are trustworthy, they can really move us to support us in reestablishing our struggles with trust or not knowing how to proceed. And then we can, from there, move to trust ourselves again when we experience that, you know, we have an understanding how the information that we're dealing with matches what we know. And then we can set out to define boundaries And help us really to move within our values and keep our values protected and as our guide. And then, you know, we see as we see our boundaries working, we can venture out again and trust again a little bit more. So I think um, it's a thing that we can see as we are within a culture, even as we are meeting people from outside of culture.
0: And your work is so multifaceted, as I hear all of these areas that you can speak into with clients. And I definitely want to come back to the sexual issues. But first, there's something else that I'm fascinated with your work. And that's the area of personal and professional self-leadership. So can you tell us more about this area of focus?
1: Yes. So it basically means, so as you as you'd say self-leadership, it means that you know what strategies to use that get you from point A to point B. So A strategy um, can really range from anything like knowing how to manage your time and tasks at hand or how to get started on something that's difficult or how to deal with emotional uh, uncertainties and control and also even strategies that help us be at our best physical vitality. So um, balanced food intake, uh, knowing about the gut, heart and brain connection, exercising and moderation, relaxation, mindfulness. So these strategies that really help us not just to do something, but to know how to do it in a way, they they can be really like you can even access them online to find out how you can increase that personal and professional health. But also you can apply it even that you have a growth profile to reflect on your values and to self-assess really how your current work is in line within your values and that a lot of times can help us really move at our best if we are in line with you know what's our what's our purpose what are our values in life so then um in that work i usually invite people to take this you know self-assessment is maybe 10-15 minutes and then um, we can generate a customized feedback and um, if people want more support one is just a more on an on demand or as need basis where you can enter an online class that you can uh, really download cheat sheets uh, videos you know encouragement to use those self leadership strategies because some people really like think to write things down I write things down all the time it 's just how I make sense of the world, but other people may be just having the time just to listen to something or to watch a video and you know you want to squeeze that in as well so many times i 'm just you know, myself, they are just taking some some little bit of information and take it in as I'm on the way to pick up the kids or so. so and in these classes, really, then, professionally speaking, you can even become what they call a super leader. So somebody who role models self-leadership to others and thereby inspires them. So I have an online class where if you are more a helping professional and want to give these strategies to another client or a mentor, mentee, or to, you know, another person that you care about, you can access, it's called the medical and healthcare professionals resources to momentum and breakthrough. So, um, and that gives a little bit more of a, of a background to people in the field who would want to make use of these strategies for their clients. And we have movement a little bit on, in a, in a Facebook group that's, Attached to each of these classes where people can then hear how other people use it or how they would want to apply it to a certain um, area of their of their world so that you don't have to even do that by yourself.
0: That's incredible. And we will certainly link to all of those options so that people can have further study. And I don't want to give away what's in each of your classes, But there are three things I kind of want to zero in on from what you said. I want to go a little bit further to hear about the gut-heart-mind connection, strategies for time management, and then hear you elaborate more on that vocational development that connects your work with your values. And so could you just speak a little bit more into, if this is new for someone what are a few things you've learned about the gut-heart-mind connection?
1: And even in the Bible, we see that there is, you know, it talks about our, talk about the kidneys being burning, right? I mean, there is there is our gut that they know have scientific evidence that produces a lot of the serotonin that is our feel-good hormone that we need to be at a certain level to not be depressed, for example. So so the gut and the heart and the brain have these pathways that are linked together. And so they keep communicating to each other. So they first called now the gut, the second brain, you know, the brain being the first brain, the gut being the second, and the heart being the third brain of the body. And the communication be- between the three of them, as we already know from Proverbs, you know, it, that guides us. That's guiding the heart of the man and, and and so as we are there is a mental wellness assessment and I can make sure you have a link to that as well where we can see even how our own body's health can be used as a guide to really say is my gut and my heart and is my brain in the best function and if so it can be a best guide to me in the unique purpose that I have on this planet. And the studies around the gut-brain axis, I want to say they have been around for maybe 10 years at this point, but especially in these times with the uncertainty, with the COVID-19 public health concerns, being at your best in that connection and how God put it just in this unique way together, that the gut and the heart and the brain all together guide us, that deserves, um, I do believe, special attention because as we are, as we are like strengthened and in those inner pieces, we can best navigate the challenges from the outside. So that's maybe one point here. And then the other one you had about the developmental growth area that we can find out more on how our values are in line uh, with, with what we do. Is that, was it your second question?
0: Yes, just wondering how can someone listening today do a deeper dive to see is my work connected with my values?
1: Well, I do have that uh, job profiling link that we can put in the show notes, and what it does is it'll ask the taker all that assessment. Like, first of all, to describe even the, their own values and then to take a look at the organization, let's say if they are working for somebody else, and really to say, if I'm looking what that organization stands for, is that matching what I want to stand for in my life? And with that, you know, whether it's going to be again, if, if upon request, I think people just have to enter their email address and it prompts me on my end to see a notification that says somebody took that and wanted some feedback that we can look at these scores and say for your own development you show for example a discrepancy between what your values are and your organization's values and and it's not to say you have to that stop what you're doing but just to be mindful and say as we can make the best impact in this world if we are like knowing what our purpose is Sailing those the ways that that God has prepared for us, is there a piece to attend to? You know, is there too much of a discrepancy, and you feel maybe unmotivated, uh, or you feel you struggle with anxiety, or you feel less than, and, and and it may be then then to to explore if the organization is the fit, or if there is something else you have to give to the, or you you are here to give to this world. But you can't give it at that organization that you're at. And maybe there is a piece to add in your own life and in your professional development to move into that fullness that there is for you. So it's just sometimes just an awareness tool to to prompt us to either say, no, we're good. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Or maybe like to to invite us for growth and development.
0: And I think that's always an exciting work. It makes me think of my husband who met with um, some other local business leaders yesterday. And one of the questions he asked them in their meeting was just, what is the long-term goal? When we look back, what kind of legacy are we going to want to build during this time? And I just hear you tying in some of these same things. When you start with the end in mind, you can make sure that you're aiming at a target that you want to a hit when you look, you know, 10 years later when you look back. And then one other area that you had mentioned was time management. And I would just love for you to provide just a few examples of things that you've seen, whether you do this personally or clients you've worked with, what are some of the best strategies have you seen for managing time well?
1: Well, and I think that is one of the greatest struggles in a place where or in a culture where we are having many more choices to pursue than we actually can time wise so it's literally as if we're having to make ourselves a funnel and hone in on activities where we're saying if there is like one thing i could do today what is the thing to to get done and so even in the many choices that we have for time and task managing apps uh you know devices reminders A lot of times, even that is still giving us a lot of distraction because we're switching from something to another as we're getting the reminder. And so I personally have to use it on myself because I have so little time and is is to really say, okay, how can I find this one activity or this one thing that I need to or would need to want to attend to on this day? And to say, if there's only one thing I can get done, that's what I need to do first. And then if there's more time left, you know, what are the other priorities? So so really like to to hone in. And it's even for me to the point that I may have to close my browsers, not listen to music, turn my phone off for the time to get this piece in. Because they have found that even with our desires to manage our time and reminders and apps and priority lists, and I use things like Trello, and I mean, I use things that help structure, but it still does not necessarily mean that the job gets done. And while in the past, you know, we had more in the old days, you know, we went to the library and we inspired us to more choices. Now with the internet, we have to kind of funnel down to less choices and even to take ourselves offline to then get the one piece done that needs to get done and then move to the next but there is many other strategies. So planning things out is one, even like looking at potential setbacks or challenges that may come my way. And I have many of those as well, even just having my children, I don't want to look at them as a deterrent of my work, but I, I have to build in this challenge of obviously wanting to attend my to my children first and then continuing with my work. And so, um, even like being very clear as to what we're going to be doing when we find ourselves with a challenge that is already making it more likely for us to kind of stay on course instead of getting discouraged or instead of getting so distracted that we say, well, you know, apparently this is not the season for me to work on this. And then here specifically in the U S culture. We just did a study where we looked at a self leadership assessment tool from the, from Europe. And we found that, um, Managing or getting started on a task is a unique feature to the maybe more the the u s population as to how we are leading ourselves. We need also a piece on self activation like getting ourselves started, and that maybe it's a little bit more distinct here than in Europe as we found it in the european samples and so so in a way, um, you know we could think about it like that's maybe part of the culture that you know we are pursuing the american dream and and so and at the same time, while this is a unique feature, it could also be uh, difficult then to choose from those many choices that we have, all those many important things I have to work on. Uh, why can I, you know, not just work th- at three at the same time, but let's say even for starting a difficult task, like planning out the prioritization, planning out that there may be struggles to stay on the task, setting myself a timer to say, It doesn't matter what urgent email is coming in or what urgent text message is coming in. I, you know, in this hour will only work on task ABC, right? So those are features that we notice that uh, are people's concerns. And with those many choices that we have, I think we all struggle with making those priorities time and task wise.
0: And so I think I hear you saying that strategy is important and there are so many options for time management, but then self-discipline is also essential for that follow-through.
1: Yes. Or the mindset of saying, you know, God, what do you have for me right in this moment? And can I be right in the moment just on this one task, trusting that the rest will, you know, attend to itself at some point? But yes, strategy in that sense, you know, we do have a mind. And so there is a way to to have a path even in this very busy and demanding world.
0: And now a brief message from our sponsor. God's love is steadfast and true. He cares for us and calls us to care for one another. Samaritan Ministries is a healthcare-sharing ministry that connects hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another through prayer, encouragement, and financial support when a medical need arises. It is not insurance, and there are no network restrictions, so you can choose the healthcare providers and treatments that are best for you and your family. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries, and they'll notify members of your need. The prayers and money received from fellow members to help you pay for your shareable medical bills will assure you that you are not alone. When the body of Christ comes together to pray, encourage, and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. Visit SamaritanMinistries.org Savvy Sauce to learn more. It's biblical, affordable, and you can join today. So once again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash Savvy Sauce. Thanks for your sponsorship. Sybil, you do have a demanding schedule. So what resources have you found to be most beneficial in your own pursuit of personal development?
1: Well, I think it really comes back to uh, reading my Bible the first thing in the morning, even if I'm not fully awake at that time, reading it over and over, having a chapter of Proverbs every day, which one of my friends inspired me to keep reading that, and then a book on the side, like one of the books of the Bible. And then immersing myself, even listening to the Bible on the phone, worship music, and that's really like a thing to ground me as I know that all these other pieces that want to take my attention give me a lot of times this feeling that i'm I'm floating over the ground. you know I'm not settled, I'm not not really like strapped into like God's point of view of my day. Another thing that really helped me tremendously in understanding my own story was to um, complete what the authors of the Grief Recovery Workbook call an incomplete experience. So John James and Russell Friedman wrote this book on grief recovery, I want to say in the 90s, and they walk us through how we can complete difficult emotional experiences with the help of journaling a timeline and then sharing this timeline with a listening partner. And I have one of my dear friends here who has served over the years several times on on listening to to these pieces that come up from my timeline there and that work on it's called the grief recovery workbook i think they just came out with a 20 year anniversary edition on it it truly allowed me to complete some of those difficult emotions from my life experiences but also what i notice is if i listen to podcasts i have many friends who are very educated who listen to a lot of podcasts and I use them as my filter. So if my neighbor says to me, you got to listen to that podcast with Brene Brown and Harriet Lerner, and I, I take it in and, you know, I'm trying then to take what I hear from my friends and then I listen, but very selectively. So I'm not getting ahead of myself with regards to my grounding.
0: Sybil, I'm curious, when you say a grief recovery workbook, would you like to elaborate on your experience with grief in your own
1: life? Yes, that's absolutely fine. About in 2009, I had a couple of clients that had really, really difficult losses uh, and brought that into their work with me. And I felt underprepared and found this book and really noticed that it doesn't have to be that we lost like a big, important family member. We all have situations in our life where something is not coming about as to what we had hoped for. You know, we may have felt betrayed, rejected, abandoned, and that there were then losses that we kind of carried. And I looked at my own personal timeline there just to take myself through these activities that I would then want to propose to my clients to embark on. And I noticed that there were quite a few things, although I wasn't from, you know, a family that had divorce or a lot of people dying or... um Disasters we had to witness. There were still um, lost experiences, and I found personally uh, it was profound how it helped me move forward. And last year, I used the book a second time deliberately when I made a decision in my career to give up what I was so passionate about, which was a teaching position I absolutely loved. But I felt that the Lord said to me, "It's time to give it back." And even that, although it was a deliberate choice for me to to say, okay, you know, I'm hearing this and I want to apply this to give this back to you. It was still a loss. And it was amazing how allowing the losses to be grieved allows us to kind of move forward because we think sometimes, oh, it's too painful. I can't look back onto the loss. But the opposite is true. As we grieve the loss, as we mourn for a certain time you know, then it gives us this ability to kind of turn towards the future and say, okay, these are all the pieces that made this experience so valuable to me. And I can look at this whenever I want, as many times as I would want to go back to it, but I don't have to be defined going forward by it. You know, I can have it as part of my timeline, but there is more that is ahead of me.
0: And you do work with individuals and couples who have been through such difficult experiences, but now I want to focus specifically on couples. What are some family and marital stressors you're hearing about either currently or even as you reflect back over your entire season of working as a psychotherapist?
1: Yes. So it it shifted a little bit over the course of my uh, practice because originally I started out in this area of sexual intimacy and In the university clinic in in Hamburg, it was a very um, specific group we worked with as a client population. So clients who had already had a lot of services and they were only coming in to work a little bit on the intimacy uh, development and many other areas were already attended to medication or medical conditions. And then as I moved into the States and started first practicing here in the U.S. with Cliff and Joyce Penner. We also served clients who were looking for support in their sexual development and sexual health and intimacy, but they had some of them had not yet received other services, so there was in a way more to attend to. So, including like traumatic life experiences, sexual addiction, and and then with me adding on more and more skills around that to serve uh, my clients better. Just recently, we see that there is a skyrocketing of technology and the social media apps, more influences that are taxing a person's or couple's capacity for intimacy. It's even an additional piece to help um, the client to decrease a sense of overwhelm or feeling maxed out and making the time and capacity for that human connection and intimacy with the spouse. So in a way, we are navigating this one-of-a-kind time, but at the same time, if we're looking at even across different cultures, how we go about, how we manage our stress. That may be shaped by the culture, but we're all in the same boat together. So the struggles now around making time for the couple and for the for the partner, the influence of pornography on the coupleship or even on body image and expectations in a relationship. And then also this whole much more transactionally driven type of relationship world we live in that takes away From that face-to-face human connection, interaction, those are more of those influences now on the couples that I get to work with these days. Even in this time now, with the COVID nineteen public health crisis and the the many changes that this brings us here in the U.S., it is a -a one-of-a-kind experience. You know, it's a specific influence that maybe they had a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu. It's a limited time only event and and for us to you know go back to where we like fall onto uh, what we used to use for coping i find myself a lot of times thinking about my uh, grandmother who in germany had two world wars that she navigated multiple other challenges she saw east and west germany reunite and so a lot of times my mind goes to how would she handle this How would she handle this uncertainty? How did she persist? And how did she then even, how would she answer my questions that I still have now in 2020? Although she gets to be with the Lord. And I think back to those many answers she gave me when I grew up on the farm or even into my 20s when I consulted her on many of my life's questions. So anything from even dating advice figuring out who would be the right person to get married to birth control. You know, I ran it all by her at the time. So, so, but even now I find myself looking in the culture that I get to live in to see at people with more life experience and, and wonder and sometimes even question directly and asking them how are they doing it. And um, I think we can all find a person uh, with more life experience even if we don't follow exactly how they have chosen their, their life to go, we can still be inspired to find our path, you know, in this specific time that we're in.
0: I appreciate you sharing those personal examples. And then we had some email exchanges even before today. And there were a few things that you mentioned that i just love to highlight. I remember you saying that where we go to when we are stressed may be shaped by our culture. And I think you brought that to life with your examples. But then also you had mentioned that now what you're most often seeing in your office is individuals struggling with sexual compulsivity and betrayal trauma. So can you share a little bit about what that is and then also what systems and processes do you use with your clients to alleviate some of those stressors?
1: Yes, so I work with couples who in this world now come in with a specific feature of um what we call betrayal trauma. And as we look at the um influences that we are exposed to with technology and even the overexposure to pornography, the partner who is affected by these influences that a person with the problem behavior struggles with may find herself or himself with a stress response. That really is comparable to a post traumatic stress reaction. And so the potential solution to this is first for the person with the problematic behaviors, help that person to decrease that behavior. And then for the person with the stress response to help the partner let go of that stress response and to really allow for an emotional regulation to come back. So with the problematic behavior, the discovery of those behaviors puts the partner's body into a survival mode. And so it's even comparable to, to being on the freeway and you are witnessing a car accident or a natural disaster we are exposed to. And so in that stress response, I see, you know, that there is the partner going into a fight or flight uh, response. And so that impact can have a very negative impact on the person's health. And so Helping the person to be less anxious and depressed and help um, moving them out of that stress response is the number one piece to work on. Because if our body is busy with that survival and that stress response, we can't really make good decisions. It's interfering with us being at our best. And so, you know, we first want to have the partner move out of that difficulty around, uh, you know, struggling with sleep, food, Lack of concentration. So, really helping them with a mechanism that has been very effective for post traumatic stress, which is EMDR therapy. And so, an EMDR therapy, what it does is it allows your body to gently reduce that stress response. And as we are like allowing for that stress response to settle, then the forward pointing, you know, focus can arise. And you can really then look again at your values and say, but what is my value driven decision that I want to make at this point? So it is really important to attend to that stress response and ways to do so is things around like having people breathe, having people, you know, go into like a stress reduction technique that allows them to kind of discharge their body's stress response. And from that point on, um, help them to kind of keep moving forward as the person with the problem behavior Has to like a lot of times really like take a detailed look to eliminate the problematic behaviors And that includes even helping them to think differently about themselves and make a different access to Situations that cause stress and that otherwise lead the person with the problem behavior to those maladaptive behaviors It is a joint venture To embark on, um, to work with couples and to help them move out of that stress response into the fullness that there is for them, despite of this problematic behavior that brought them into the practice.
0: Well, and what I appreciate about your training, like you said, you are a Christ follower, and so the Bible is the ultimate source of knowledge. Yet it's so interesting to hear how psychology can follow after that. And so can you share a few principles from the Bible of ways that we are encouraged to alleviate stress?
1: So I think one of the principles, and that may be really like we're thinking about a person coming in in crisis, that may be not something that they may Im- immediately think to do or feel that this is a feasible thing. is, But the counting of our blessings and being in a state of gratitude or, you know, I call it a positive laundry list, making a positive laundry list where we can count out positive situations and going back to those and counting out, even like if we are getting a response from our spouse that I call the good enough response, not the one that I maybe want to find, but for my husband, this is a real good thing, right? So a good enough response and, and grounding us in that gratitude strategy. That allows us to, even in this season of transition or growth, to count in that even with an imperfect response and just effort put in that there can be something good coming my way. Even then, there's other principle that then I have clients apply right from the get-go is to use the God-given way of how the human body is designed to release stress. And as we gently get to release the stress and surrender to his care, then also, you know, we can open ourselves to move into something new. So how God made our human body is that he has this mechanism that he put into our minds that as we move our left and the right side of our bodies in an alternating fashion. So as you walk your dog, as you walk a flight of stairs, as you're you know, using your drumsticks or for me, sometimes when I cook I use like two two devices to to help me stir to have that alternate movement of my left and my right side of our body going. And then it allows for the mind to gently downshift our stress response and settle disturbance as we move move in that way our body back and forth. So it gently decreases the activity in our emotional brain. And it allows for stress and uh, disturbance reduction. And that's movement. I invite all of my clients to practice as many times of the day. And that is one of the main treatment building blocks for the EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing trauma reduction therapy that works so well to get people out of that stress response. And another thing that I noticed In my practice, and I invite all the couples to look at it through that lens, is to say, as you do your individual work, not even you're coming in to fix your relationship, but you say, there's a piece that's not working so well, but I just do my side of the story. That creates a demand freeness in the significant other person to then also work on his or her change that's necessary. So, in a way, the couples who are working on themselves individually and then come together to add to their coupleship, tend to thrive more than those who come in and expect, well, if the other person would just be changing, I would not have a problem, or I would have less of an issue. So those are like things that I notice, and I'm always so honored to see clients applying themselves to those principles.
0: Sybil, with our limited time, could you share three tension points you see repeatedly in couples specifically as it does relate to their sexual intimacy?
1: Yes. So uh, one of the tension points is that the culture currently presents sexuality often in a way that we, it looks as if we owe the other person fulfilling sexuality. However, how we are designed is that we need to feel safe and without demand. And then as a byproduct Desire may follow. So, a lot of times with that overexposure, whether that's sexualized posts or images or advertisements, pornography, the mind learns to respond to that and doesn't feel anything towards the partner. And so, really, the cure is to teach the couple how to attach and to how to attend to each other in a way that feels safe without demand and anxiety. And then the connection is a natural byproduct that can follow. Another tension point is that it is so difficult, even if we have so much information at hand, to find informed support in complex situations. And so as we are so used to be at our best when we are researching and we are fine and we don't need anybody, the tension point is however that most of healing in the human mind and and the human connection is really happening as we are in an informed community. And so, even finding somebody who can really help you on specific things that you that you come against or come and struggle with in the coupleship repeatedly, you would want to look specifically, even as if you would interview a candidate for a good fit. So, is that therapist trained well? Are they having you know any recent training? Are they sensitive to their do your specific circumstances, your background, your religious background? your cultural background, are they more directive or are they empowering you to make your best decisions? And so we are so used to, you know, research everything by our own strength, but, you know, really to encourage the couple to say, no, we want to find a fit for you where you both feel heard and where you both feel that this uh, informed support will add to your coupleship. And then the other thing that is so hard to make is that we have to find time on the calendar. And finding time on the calendar in the coupleship is a lot of times coming out of the decision to be together, not as if we're just waiting for a feeling to come to make it like happen. It may never come and it may be 8.20 p.m. on a Sunday night and we find ourselves at Home Depot wondering what happened to our date night, right? So the tension point is to say, although maybe with how the world is structured, we feel we don't want to have any more obligations, carving out time and treating that as a very important piece in your schedule is a building block for the intimacy, even if it feels like a scheduled and non-spontaneous event. So even to look for somebody who is trained to lead you through grieving, through the disclosure of a problematic behavior, for helping you result um, you know from these crises that you may be facing, you can look for somebody who is like very systematic in their approach and the third tension point is to really allow yourself the time to develop this roadmap for a direction that you want to stay on, even if let 's say you're uh, caught by surprise as to you found out about somebody else 's uh, problematic behaviors so a lot of times. Even at the beginning when everything is like so hard to deal with, uh, you know, we just want to be done. We want to move on. We don't want to think about it anymore. But the counterintuitive thing is to kind of slow it down and not make a major decision within the first four to six months even of a difficult encounter or crisis. And instead, just focusing on in that time to reduce, reduce the stress response and to make best sense of what happened. And in a way, even if it's very counterintuitive to make a list of the losses, the casualties that come with the crisis, as we get to attend to that, the research shows that the couple affected by the crisis can generate hope to move forward if we want first look at those losses, grieve those dreams that were shattered, and fully then acknowledge why there was damage done. At the same time, then, with the acknowledgement, it really allows us to kind of start with the healing and the looking and moving forward process.
0: That's really helpful to really encourage people how to be a savvy consumer with their therapist, where this is someone that you definitely want to trust and someone who's skilled. And I like how you point out just asking, are they more directive or do they allow you to come up with some of your own discoveries and make decisions? Because if they're more so just advice giving, would you recommend we steer clear of that approach?
1: Well, it it really kind of would depend on the situation because for a person with a problematic behavior, perhaps having somebody who would be straightforward pointing a piece out can be helpful. Yet in the term of the decision making, then especially if it has to do with a more complex situation such as do I you know, stay and grow in the relationship or do I need to ask for therapeutic separation to have really my point come across that this is not okay what's going on that is a thing really to put into the client's hands to make a decision on and again with <clears throat> the complexity of this it's not something that we can just expect to be like All fully developed within the first visit. And uh, although, you know, we really want people to move out of their pain as quickly as possible. But I think that inside knowledge as to what the course of action is that I want to take, that requires, you know, that we have the stress response attended to, that requires that we can evaluate what's going on, that really should be coming from within the client. And that shouldn't be something that the the counselor, as we can't speak to that complex situation. So you can only help people to get to their best solutions themselves.
0: And I think you've equipped us then to know what to look for in a counselor and in the therapeutic process. And hopefully people even after this interview, if this is a struggle, they have you as a resource now to reach out to. But before we get to all of that, will you just leave us with a positive perspective on sexual intimacy and in marriage?
1: Yes, I think that is such a gift uh, from God, how he designed it. And yet it is such a mystery on how to develop it best. And so having psychoeducation on how our body works, and looking at it through the lens of what the Bible says about um, human sexuality and how to best have it really there to glorify God and to use it to have it as as a constructive piece of our relationship that is really the background as what in my mind when I'm helping people to move out of their struggles into more of what God has created for them and I think it's such a mystery how the individual growth that we are like developing in and then being there with with the spouse that God allowed us to get to be with that then that is the perfect setup for God to help us unfold this capacity in the relationship with one another, where again, we are looking for something that we set up that's mutually satisfying, that is demand-free. So if if something feels like too much, you want to kind of scale that down and get with the person who would want to have it maybe a little bit more conservative or a little bit more, uh, you know, slower or with more increments. And so then being in that fullness, that we can enter in and that even comes with the relationship developing over the course of the years uh, that may be very contrary to what the media portrays sexuality as. It doesn't say in the media that sexuality gets better with more richer years in the marriage. It doesn't tell us that we got to still work on configuration of sexuality as we For example, you know, have our children or just after childbirth or move into like uh, mature years or towards uh, menopausal changes. But the other side of this is that as there are now a lot of um, pieces of information, medical support that we can have to decrease any pain experience, for example, that, you know, we have now the capacity to even more enter into the fullness that God has for us in this area.
0: If this is your first time hearing The Savvy Sauce, welcome! Our team loves what we get to do, and we hope that you'll go back and hear all of our previous episodes. For those of you who have been around for a long time, maybe even from the beginning, would you consider joining Patreon? If you don't know what it is, all the details are on our website at thesavvysauce.com under the tab Patreon. And you can always email us with further questions at info@thesavvysauce.com. Dr. Georgiana, I just want to elaborate a little bit more because this is your expertise with sexual compulsivity and betrayal trauma. Mm -hmm. So once a spouse discovers infidelity in their partner, how do you advise them to start caring for themselves and proceed with wisdom during this particularly vulnerable time?
1: So I would really uh, encourage the person who is who is more discovering of what's happening to really attend to self-care. And even if the crisis is really truly triggered by somebody else's problematic behavior, and it's really common that we would rather want the other person to get well first, and then we look at ourselves. So we spend more of the time and resources we have on helping the person with the problem behavior. I really think that Putting the oxygen mask on first and decreasing the stress response is the foremost task in that season, as that will keep you at your best to make the best decisions that are then in line with the values. And that with that clarity really then allows for the best outcome out of these very complex situations to arise. So I really encourage the clients to be using a lot of that bilateral body movement And then even finding ways to gently slowing down the life around, finding as much rest as possible. And while that may be the last thing of our mind to kind of turn off the internet, our mind wants to keep reading, wants to keep researching, listening to podcasts. Again, that can still at the same time amp up our stress response and then, you know, not necessarily move us to like our best and fastest coping. So there may be so many questions that understandably rush through a person's head who's finding out about problematic behaviors, a betrayal, uh, what brought you there, is this any of my fault, was I not good enough, right? And so, but at the same time, we want to gently like attend to that person that this flooding of those feelings really is kind of decreased and that we put like a dam in that says on the other side, that person with the problem behavior, that's their wake up call. They got to work on this. But we want to have that person with the stress response as quickly attended to as possible so that it doesn't have more of a chronic stress response that follows.
0: And then for that spouse that you mentioned that is the one struggling with the problematic behaviors, where would you begin with them for their process of healing?
1: The research shows that the process or the complex situations with a behavior that may even become a compulsive behavior in the brain, so something that runs on its pathway in the brain where we feel we have no control over it, it requires a little bit of a different approach than a typical talk therapy session. So where the brain is compromised in the decision-making, the person may need what we call recovery tasks, that help him really to eliminate um, problematic behavior, to stop or identify even problematic thoughts that then, if not attended to, lead to problematic behaviors, and to really then also take an accounting and put in accountability for those actions. And that is the the research on these potential addictive behaviors that we should better label a multiple issue because the brain can go through various ways to get its reward center activated, that would be a thing to specifically work on as a person comes in. And if it has to do with anything around sexuality, there is a a certification program that trains to deal with sex addiction, which is called ITAP, the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, where um, even on the website, people can take a self-assessment, and find a therapist who's trained in that recovery-based approach so that it really helps stop the compulsivity as quickly as possible.
0: And let's just assume that the person struggling with this is a believer, a Christ follower, and they don't want to be caught up in this cycle. Do you think that there is hope that they can overcome this addiction?
1: Absolutely. And I think even the way how God designed our bodies, it's designed that the mind can change the way how it's wired. But a lot of times with a more chronic behavior or potentially something where our reward center has been hijacked, we have to hijack it back into health. And so it may need, for example, a 12 step community approach where people go and attend a meeting that helps stop compulsive behaviors. 90 days a meeting at a time but it so it takes maybe 90 days of very deliberate work and and refocusing and changing behaviors to reset a pathway but it is absolutely possible and the good thing is also as we put in the effort you get proportionally a good outcome so it's not something that just maybe grows and it has no pattern to it but as we apply it change every day, you will see a significant change quickly. And in conjunction with a more of a stress response reduction therapy that most or a lot of addiction therapists have as part of their treatment protocol, then if there is any underlying trauma that fueled these maladaptive behaviors, and that's being attended to as well, it takes gently down the the strength and the magnitude out of those behaviors that may have had that sense of control um, associated with them. So it's absolutely possible to change. But as we need to work on these things, we just have to stay on it to get there. So it's not coming without effort.
0: I think that's a healthy approach to consider. But then also, There is so much hope in that because you're saying if you do commit to this process, that transformation is possible to experience for the rest of your life. So the work is worth it. And what encouragement would you also like to offer to the spouse?
1: I would say to her that it's not just having to be that the safety will come through the person changing their behavior. So, yes, absolutely. That is something that the spouse can request. But I would say to the spouse that there is even more of an inner sense of control that may be imaginable at the beginning that this work can bring for the spouse. So she does not or he does not have to be just at the merit of the other person hopefully working enough and then there's going to be health and healing coming my way. But with that individual attention to the stress response and the uh, trauma reaction, a lot of times once we attend to that as fast as we can as early as the partner feels ready for that she will or he will know that there is a lot of inner strength and control that she has and that that is not just hinging on the person with the problem behavior's progress so it's something that they can then draw from within themselves again the way how god made it
0: thank you for sharing all of that and It sounds like whether somebody's in a transition to a new sexual season or they've experienced that betrayal, as we've talked about earlier, where could people find you to book an appointment with you or even just learn more about your work?
1: Yes. So I have a website that's called sexualhealthoc.com, where you have the information for the sexual health and wholeness. Or you can look at the leadershippractice.biz for information on the self-leadership components so that it can be also put in the show notes. I do coaching calls even if you are located outside of the state of California for people within California. Then I can offer therapy sessions in person or even online. So those are all various ways along with the website that's called courses.theleadershippractice.biz which hosts all of my online courses.
0: Wonderful. Then people have plenty of opportunities to study all of this conversation a little bit further and more in depth. And you know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And we would love to hear, what is your Savvy Sauce?
1: Well, I have to give credit to one of my prayer partners because she taught me the following, which is more like a meditation or prayer, she calls it the Jiffy Lu prayer, you know, and it goes like, "God, I can't complete or fix or finish the situation that's ahead, the person I care so much about, but you God, have the best interest in mind for them, and so you have the good thoughts and a future for them, so I ask you to finish what you have started and teach me what I should learn or and help me really remember and recall what you taught me in this situation. And you, Jesus, again, you said it's finished. So in your name, I can just pray. And I guess that is the best thing to go to in my life, that kind of meditative prayer.
0: That is such a great reminder. We can never hear that enough that he said it is finished. Dr. Georgiana, you are a very skilled clinician and a gentle and patient teacher Your empathy was just able to shine through this brief time together. And I imagine that you are such a gift to the clients you get to work with. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. It was a joy getting to host you as my guest.
1: Thank you so much, I'm so honored.
0: One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved and I look forward to meeting you here next time.